Hare Krishna, Anshakalpa Trubhyascha, Kripasindu Bhyebhacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha. So welcome to our continuation of the study of Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, we've started over and we're uh, again, uh, we just begin with Canto 1, Chapter 1. Questions by the sages at Namisharanya Forest where the Bhagavatam opens. The second class dealing with that. So first we'll say like this Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. That's the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam 2, <coughs> the first text uh, of that. So uh, we just started uh, reading this uh, uh, first text. Uh, we started, went through some of it, Janmadasiyataha. Let me read text 1 and then we'll pick up where we left off, or sort of, maybe there'll be some overlap. So it begins with this Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya and then Janmadhyasya Yatundayad Itaratas Charate Swarat Te Te Brahmaridaya Dadi Kavaye Muyanti Yatsuraya Te Jovari Mitam Yatavidimayo Yatra Trisargum Risha Dhamna Svena Sadhana Rastakuhakam Satyam Param Dimahi. So we have two translations. Here's the BBT translation. O my Lord, Sri Krishna, Son of Vasudeva, all, O all-pervading personality of Godhead, I offer my respectful obeisances unto you. I meditate upon Lord Sri Krishna because he is the absolute truth and the primeval cause of all causes of the creation, sustenance, and destruction of the manifested universes. He is directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations and he is independent because there is no cause beyond him. It is he only who first imparted the Vedic knowledge unto the heart of Brahmaji, the original living being. By him, even the great sages and demigods are placed into illusion, as one is bewildered by the illusory representations of water seen in fire or land seen on water. Only because of him do the material universes temporarily manifested by the reactions of the three modes of nature appear factual, although they are unreal. I therefore meditate upon him, Lord Sri Krishna, who is eternally existent in the transcendental abode which is forever free from the illusory representations of the material world. I meditate upon him, for he is the absolute truth. 
Manuswami's translation, a little simpler. Let us meditate upon the Absolute Truth, Krishna, who is the cause of creation, maintenance, and destruction of this universe, as the material and efficient cause, since he is the only knower of all objects and the only independent being, who revealed the Vedas to Brahma within his mind, who is difficult to understand even for the learned, whose body is thought to be made of matter due to illusion, just as one mistakes fire, water, and earth for each other, and one who negates all false arguments regarding his existence by possessing a transcendental, inconceivable form, and by the strength of devotees experiencing him through his Swarup Shakti. That's a little different, huh? So this says here that the Lord uh, uh, is described as Vasudeva, the son of Vasudeva, Lord Sri Krishna, the primeval Lord. Now, in in uh, I don't know if I explained this before, but in Sanskrit, there's a way of forming one's patronymic. That is your name according to your father. Uh, and we have them. MacDonald means son of Donald, and MacArthur means the son of Arthur. And uh, some of our uh, Western languages, there are patronymics like that. Also in Russia, there are patronymics like that. Uh, so, like the formation of a patronymic is that you strengthen the first syllable uh, by adding the uh, 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 a to it, a short a, and then turning it to the a declension. So, for example, take the word Vishnu. Now, if you want to say the son of Vishnu or descendants of Vishnu or followers of Vishnu, it would be. So, Vish, the V-I-S, becomes V-A-I-S. And the U, if you're going to uh, turn it to the A declension, has to become, that U becomes a V and it's Vaishnava. So, our name, Vaishnava, means offspring or children of Vishnu. Uh, Another word that shows up a lot uh, in the Bhagavatam is Bhargava. That comes from the sage Bhrigu Muni. The Brig, B, uh, the vocalic R with a dot under it, becomes Ba, and then the, the uh, G-H-U is Gava, Bhargava. Uh, in uh, 71, in July, Prabhupada was giving an, an initiations and uh, he named this devotee Bhargava. And then Prabhupada said, Bhargava means the descendant of Bhrigu. Bhrigu is one of the great sages, seven sages, uh, rotating round the pole star, seven sages, known locally as the Big Dipper or Ursa Major. <laughs> 
major, we should say, if we're going to say Latin, Ursa Major, the great bear. Uh, that's, that's the pole star. Those are the Saptarshis, the seven sages. So Brigu is one of those stars rotating around the pole star. Brigu Muni is one of them, Bhargava. In India, there is still a Brahmana's family and they are called Bhargava. There. And uh, Sutta addresses Shonaka Rishi, uh, who uh, is narrating the Bhagavatam as Bhargava. For example, Bhagavatam 110.35, Bhargava, O Shonaka. Prabhupada translates in the word for Bhargava, O Shonaka. And there are also matronymics. Arjuna, for example, is called Kuntea, the son of Kunti, who is the mother of the Pandavas. Remember, Kunti was Lord Krishna's aunt in the Mahabharata. She the, was the daughter of uh, Sura Sena and the sister of Vasudev. She was adopted by King Kunti Boja and later married King Pandu. So that's where this word Bhargava, or even Kauntaya. You'll see that. So, then it says that uh, the, the Lord who is uh, directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations. So first he's described as the absolute truth. Janmadasayataha, that from which everything comes. Uh, the cause of creation, sustenance, and destruction. We do not deny the creation. The Mayavad philosophers, by the way, do that. But here we have uh, our understanding that this uh, uh, comes from God. He is the primeval cause of these three things, this creation, sustenance, and destruction. This is the cycle of creation. It goes through these things, and this is what he does. So he says, directly and indirectly conscious of all manifestations. Um, I take it that that means to be directly conscious as you see them, and to be indirectly consciousness as you see what everybody else sees too. <laughs> So, you can, you, because you're conscious of everything, you can see how everybody thinks about everything else. So you, can, so there's mirrors all over the place. Some of them very warped, but you can, you can, you you, you can see that way. There's, that's this uh, uh, indirect, indirect uh, conscious of all manifestations, and independent. Uh, the absolute truth is, he has no other cause other than himself. And then, uh, uh, Brahma was uh, impregnated with the Vedas. He's called Veda Garba. He who was impregnated with the Vedas. How did Brahma, who's a deputed creator, learn how to do it? Well, that will get the whole story in the Bhagavatam. But basically, it's implanted in him uh, by the Lord, so he knows what to do. Uh, uh, and so, uh, 
There, another name for Brahma in philosophy, they call him the Demiurgos, the the Creator God, who's not the absolute truth. They had also that idea of the the these uh, Demiurgos, the Demiurge, who. Uh, so he's the sub-creator, really. Uh, and he's described here as the original uh, living being. And, uh, and then they give these ideas of illusion. Uh, water seen in fire, land on water, these different kinds of optical illusions. I don't know what water seen in fire exactly means, <laughs> but but uh, I don't. But but land seen on water, you see mirages like that, and and so on. Uh, so if you look at this, uh, so this Janmadasi Yataha. Uh, that that's a, that's a quotation from the Vedanta Sutra, which describes what is the absolute truth, that from which uh, janma etc. Creation, maintenance, and destruction, all these proceed from this of this of the manifest. You know, asya simply means of this, and it's here the manifested universes, and then. Uh, Yeah. This word anvayat directly. The word anvaya, uh, you may notice, uh, well, this word shows up where, where Prabhupada has, uh, under the, uh, the translation of the book, he breaks down the word meanings. Uh, in the Gaudiya Mat editions, uh, they change the word order too, and that's anvaya because of the, the more natural flow of thinking, because Sanskrit, because of the the it's an inflected language, you know, it doesn't word order doesn't matter because because of of uh, it's the ending which said what's the subject, the direct object, all these things are done by the. What possesses all done by the Indian, by, by the Indians. But when you want to uh, less inflected modern languages, because as the older languages are, the more complicated they are. And as time goes on, they get simpler and simpler. <laughs> That's basically what, what's happened. Uh, you know, like, like in English, we have an active voice and a passive voice. But in Greek and Sanskrit, you have a middle voice with the subject acting on its own behalf or on itself, you know, and a whole different declensions and for, for those three different voices. Why three? Uh, uh, so, and, and you can see how complicated Sanskrit is to us, but that's an older language. So as we get older, we get dumber and we <laughs> get simpler and simpler. So this is uh, this is this. Uh, that's why it's uh, uh, so complicated uh, to us. But actually, 
So this Anvaya, uh, uh, they change the word order to make it more comprehensible when, when they do the word for word, and that they call it the Anvaya, because it means connecting, association, a natural order. It says here in the dictionary, the natural order or connection of words in a sentence, uh, logical connection, so this is the Anvaya. The Prabhupada keeps the same word order, but you see in Gaudiya Mata editions, they change the word order around, actually, in that part, to make it easier to understand. Also, by the way, we mentioned this before, that, that uh, in the purport, this, uh, this, uh, this idea that, that uh, uh, Vasudev uh, is the Supreme Lord, uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, uh, is a reference. This fact, Prabhupada says, will be more explicitly explained later in the text of this work, meaning Srimad Bhagavatam 1.3.28, where Vyasadeva asserts that Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godheads, and all others are his direct or indirect plenary portions or portions of the portions. Uh, that's in that verse. And you'll find if you read Burijan's book, Unveiling the Lotus Feet, where he analyzes this, Jiva Goswami has a very, yeah, Jiva Goswami, very long per, uh, explanation why this is the Paribhasa Sutra, the verse about, under uh, whose rule all other verses have to be understood, the, the key uh, text for this. This, uh, this particular thing. I think we mentioned that already. Now let's go through the purport. Uh, I'm going to read from the book. I need to put my eyeglasses on for doing this. Excuse me, it's loud. Obeisances to the personality of Godhead, Vasudev, directly indicate Lord Sri Krishna who is the divine son of Vasudeva and Devaki. So we just explained that, that this is his patronymic. This fact will be more explicitly explained in the text of this work. Srila Vyasadeva asserts herein, I, I wish when they edited this, they would have put a little parenthesis, 1328. <laughs> it's not right here, but it's a little further in the text that Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead and all others are his direct or indirect plenary portions or portions of the portions. Sri Jiva Goswami has even more explicitly explained the subject matter in his Krishna Sandarbha. He's the Satsandarbhas, his commentaries on our texts. And Brahma, the original living being, has explained the subject of Sri Krishna substantially in his treatise named Brahma Samhita, which we have with the Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's commentary on that one. In the Samaveda Upanishad, it is also stated that Lord Sri Krishna is the divine son of Devaki. Therefore, in this prayer, the first proposition holds that Lord Sri Krishna is the primeval Lord, and if any transcendental nomenclature 
is to be understood as belonging to the absolute personality of Godhead, it must be the name indicated by the word Krishna, which means the all-attractive. So there are many people who think that Krishna is an, described as an avatar of Vishnu, yet yeah, that that's Vishnu is the supreme. Uh, but here is saying here that it's the other way around, and that that's what the Bhagavatam is asserting. In the Bhagavad Gita, in many places, the Lord asserts himself to be the original personality of Godhead, and this is confirmed by Arjuna and also by great sages like Narada, Vyasa, and many others. He says this to Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita. They have said this, and you are telling me yourself. Aham sarvasya prabhavo abhata sarvam bhavartate. Everything comes from me. I'm the source of all worlds and so on. In the Padma Purana, it is also stated that out of the innumerable names of the Lord, the name of Krishna is the principal one. Vasudev indicates the plenary portion of the personality of Godhead. So he's saying this is what... Uh, that long A of Vasudev. And plenary means with full power. When you have a plenary, the only time you see that is political plenary session of a legislature, it means has the power to enact things. Yeah. A plenary portion of the personality of Godhead and all different forms of the Lord being identical with Vasudeva are indicated in this text. The name Vasudeva particularly indicates the divine son of Vasudeva and Devaki. Sri Krishna is always meditated upon by the Paramahamsas who are perfected, the perfected ones among those in the renounced order of life. Vasudeva, or Lord Sri Krishna, is the cause of all causes. Everything that exists emanates from the Lord. How this is so is explained in later chapters of this work. This work is described by Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya, so notice how Prabhupada brings him in, right? Uh, as the spotless Purana, Amalam Puranam calls it, because it contains the transcendental narration of the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. The history of Srimad Bhagavatam is also very glorious. It was compiled by Sri Vyasadeva after he had attained maturity in transcendental knowledge. And this will also be described in here how he came to compose it. He had done so much to... Because he saw, it's described in here that he saw Kali Yuga is going to begin and, and how people are going to become degraded. And so as Vyas, which means editor, among other things, he is going to put together the, 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 the scriptures, the texts, to, so they can be transmitted to the Kali Yuga. And he had done all that and he still felt he hadn't finished his work. There's something left over. And that's where... Narada comes and tells him, this is what you have to do. You have to talk about Krishna. Oh, that's so elevated. That's so high. 
no, we're going to do it, you know, and this is how. So this is how the, the Bhagavatam tells that, that story is there, how it comes to be composed, to be handed down, so that people in this age shall get light from him, from it. Notice how this goes against our reigning myth in the West, the myth of progress. We'll see how the, well that progress works out for us huh? when we're all standing <laughs> with nothing to eat on desert islands with <laughs> super climate <laughs> and so on. We have to basically deindustrialize in one way or another. Uh, Vyasadeva compiled all Vedic literatures containing the four divisions of the Vedas, the Vedanta Sutras or the Brahma Sutras, the Puranas, the Mahabharata, and so on. But nevertheless, he was not satisfied. And the Mahabharata is, is like the Bhagavad Gita, is pretty simple as Sanskrit goes. If you take a university Sanskrit course, you can start to read that by the end of one semester. You know? But then if you turn to Bhagavatam or, you, or, or some of the other works, you're completely at sea because it's so uh, sophisticated. So it's children's literature, the Mahabharata. It takes, you know, put the Bhagavad Gita is embedded in it but it really otherwise is a thrilling tale <laughs> of, of all kinds of things, you know, to get you into it. The Ramayana is the same way. It, it, it's a, a very simple. So he had done all that, but nevertheless he was not satisfied. His dissatisfaction was observed by his spiritual master, and thus Narada advised him to write on the transcendental activities of Lord Sri Krishna. These transcendental activities are described specifically in the tenth canto of this work, but in order to reach the very to the very substance, one must proceed gradually by developing knowledge of the categories of preliminary things before you get to the, the real essence. So that's what's going to happen. It's arranged in this particular way. So you shouldn't hop around, really. You should go through it in uh, 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 sequence. So now that's that's now Prabhupada changes a little bit is uh, uh, to talk about uh, this uh, adventure. It is naturally that a philosophical mind wants to know about the origin of the creation. I mean, just the. The, the real question is, why is there anything at all? <laughs> why, is something, why is there something rather than nothing? That's the far out question. <laughs> it is natural that a philosophical mind wants to know about the origin of the creation. At night he sees the stars in the sky and he naturally speculates about their inhabitants. Are we really the only world that's here, you know, empty space, and we're the only little people that are speaking up? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Such inquiries are natural for man because man has a developed consciousness which is higher than that of the animals. You can reflect that the fact that you're here. Why am I here? What does it mean to be here? How did I get here? I mean, just, that's just the fact of consciousness itself. Uh, the German word for consciousness is Dasein, which means being there. <laughs> just being there. <laughs> and if you just amazing that, that, that something's happening and you're aware of it, and you're aware of the outside world and you're aware of your own mind working and body working and so on. Far out. Very far out. Mind-boggling if you start to think about it. The author of Srimad Bhagavatam gives a direct answer to such inquiries. He says that the Lord Sri Krishna is the origin of all creations. He is not only the creator of the universe, but the destroyer as well. The manifested cosmic nature is created at a certain period by the will of the Lord. It is maintained for some time and then it is annihilated by his will. When it says Janma Dasya Yataha, there's an ex Janma Asya, etc. There's birth and so on. That's where it comes from. So that means these, this is the cycle. Things are created, things maintain, things are destroyed, and again it goes up, you know? You see in springtime the leaves come out, they flourish for a while, it gets cold, they all fall down, they're turned into compost, and again it comes, you know, that's the cycles. We see these cycles in different ways. And we've also seen civilizations rise and collapse, and then out of their collapse comes other civilizations and so on. These cycles. So there's big cycles too like that. Therefore, the supreme will is behind all cosmic activities, because by his will it's maintained, created, maintained, and destroyed. Of course, there are atheists of various categories who do not believe in a creator. So that's been noticed. <laughs> but this is due to a poor fund of knowledge. The modern scientist, for example, has created space satellites. Remember when this was written in the 60s, so the Sputnik was a new thing. I remember when it first went out, beep, 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 beep. And the Russians had done it first. Beep, 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 beep. He went. Uh, the modern scientist, for example, has created space satellites, and by some arrangement or other, these satellites are thrown into outer space to fly for some time at the control of the scientist who is far away. Similarly, all the universes with innumerable stars and planets are controlled by the intelligence of the personality of Godhead. I mean, Prabhupada also says we are all small samples of God. So we have that same creative impulse and want to do something and make things and so on. And you can sometimes, some, 
tell some things about God by understanding yourself. We're on a little scale, he's on the big scale. This is Prabhupada's take on this. He goes on, next paragraph. In Vedic literatures, it is said that the absolute truth, personality of Godhead, is the chief amongst all living personalities. All living beings, beginning from the first created being, Brahma, down to the smallest ant, are individual living beings. And above Brahma, there are even other living beings with individual capacities, and the personality of Godhead is also a similar living beings. And he and he is an individual, as are all as are the other living beings. But the Supreme Lord or the Supreme Living Being has the greatest intelligence, and he possesses supermost inconceivable energies of all different varieties. If a man's brain can produce a space satellite, one can very easily imagine how brains higher than the man, than man, can produce similarly wonderful things which are far superior. The reasonable person will easily accept this argument, but there are stubborn atheists who would never agree. Srila Vyasadeva, however, at once accepts the supreme intelligence as the Parameshwara. Ishwara means controller, so this is the supreme controller, Parameshwara. He offers his respectful obeisances unto the supreme and intelligence addressed as the Para, or the Parameshwara, or the supreme personality of Godhead. And that Parameshwara is Sri Krishna, as admitted in Bhagavad Gita and other scriptures delivered by Sri Vyasadeva and specifically in this Srimad Bhagavatam. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, there is no paratattva sumum bonum. So that's the standard philosophical Latin, the highest good, sumum bonum, the greatest good used for God. And so here he says, Paratattva, the supreme principle, than no other Paratattva, Sumam Bonam, than himself. Therefore, Srila Vyasadeva at once worships the Paratattva, Sri Krishna, whose transcendental activities are described in the 10th canto. This is simple in the Bhagavad There's no truth superior to me. All things are resting upon me like... Uh, uh, pearls upon a thread or something on a string. This is Mataparataram Nanyat. There's nothing true higher to me. These are his statements. In, in, and the Bhagavad Gita, that's really children's Sanskrit, you know, by the way. <laughs> um, now Prabhupada gives us a little uh, thing here. Uh, unscrupulous persons go immediately to the tenth canto and especially to the five chapters which describe the Lord's Rasa dance. This portion of Srimad Bhagavatam is the most confidential part of this great literature. Uh, Prabhupada says confidential means everybody, not everybody will be able to 
appreciate it. And so they take it as something mundane. Uh, and so you just don't not supposed to go to it. You have to understand Krishna first before you can understand. Because what you have in Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes is really the private life of God. And, you know, you have to be invited. <laughs> you, you know, the... I think there was a TV show called The Private Life of the Rich and Famous or something, you know. But if you, you know, there's a whole Groucho Marx statement. I, he was insulted. I will never belong to a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> if, you, if it's really exclusive, why do you know it? Well, this is how we can know this, is by this arrangement for us to actually become qualified to understand it. Otherwise, you'll get a counterfeit uh, if you're not properly trained to understand it. Uh, so, this portion of Srimad Bhagavatam is the most confidential part of this great literature. Unless one is thoroughly accomplished in the transcendental knowledge of the Lord, one is sure to misunderstand the Lord worshipable transcendental pastimes called rasa dance and his love affairs with the gopis. This subject matter is highly spiritual and only the liberated persons who have gradually attained to the stage of Paramahamsa can transcendentally relish this rasa dance. Rasa dance. Srila Vyasadeva therefore gives the reader the chance gradually to gradually develop spiritual realization before actually relishing the essence of the pastimes of the Lord. Therefore, it's in the 10th canto. You don't skip over and go to the, that part. You'll miss it. You have to be trained. Therefore, he personally, purposely invokes a Gayatri mantra, Dimahi, because the Brahma Gayatri mantra chanted by people who are qualified Brahmanas has this, I do meditate upon Dimahi, Satcham Param Dimahi, uh, meditate on the highest truth. And so he evokes this idea that uh, uh, one should be qualified. The Gayatri Mantra is meant for spiritually advanced people. When one is successful in chanting the Gayatri Mantra, he can enter into the transcendental position of the Lord. So notice you can enter, enter into that position. If you want to understand spiritual, you have to become spiritual. One must therefore acquire Brahminical qualities or be perfectly situated in the quality of goodness in order to chant the Gayatri Mantra successfully and then attain to the stage of transcendentally realizing the Lord, His name, His fame, His qualities, and so on. So if you just reflect now that Prabhupada wrote this before he came to America, he's writing in English and he's bringing it to foreigners, whom they've had a lot of experience, for example, with British 
what <laughs> they're like. So they have, he has an idea. And so now this secret, you know, this very highly advanced literature is going to be brought to the West. You understand why he had to start the Hare Krishna movement. He had to be able to train people to read it. He had to create the audience that was capable. And, uh, you know, Prabhupada saw this as designed to create a, a revolution in the misdirected world civilization. So that's, that one, one has to become spiritually advanced. And so, therefore, we have the Bhagavatam, we can begin it now. You begin in the beginning, you go through it, and gradually uh, we introduce people to how to become readers, uh, trained readers. Uh, of, of the Bhagavatam. Uh, we're introduced in the Bhagavad Gita also about the three modes of material nature and we have to learn that knowledge depends upon goodness, sattva. The modes of ignorance and passion have to decrease, which is really, you know, what everybody's going to have to do whether they want to or not. Because the result of the mode of passion is misery. And the result of the mode of ignorance is oblivion. And so it's no, there's no future in those, those modes. Anyway, it goes on here. Um, read one more paragraph. Srimad Bhagavatam is the narration of the Swarup of the Lord's manifested by his internal potency. So rupa means form, so swarup means own form, his own, own spiritual nature, the swarup of the Lord's manifested by his internal potency. So now he's going to explain about the internal, external, and marginal. The, and this potency is distinguished from the external potency which has manifest the cosmic, this, the cosmic world which is within our experience. Srila Vyasadeva makes a clear distinction between the two in the shloka. Srila Vyasadeva says herein that the manifested internal potency is real, whereas the external manifested energy in the form of material existence is only temporary and illusory, like the mirage in the desert. In the desert mirage, there's no actual water. There is only the appearance of water. The heat wrinkles the, the surface and it looks like they see water. Real water is somewhere else. And sometimes it is, it's reflected from down below in the clouds. This manifested cosmic creation appears as reality. But reality, of which this is but a shadow, is in the spiritual world. Absolute truth is in the spiritual sky, not the material sky. In the material sky, everything is relative truth. That is to say, one truth depends on something else. 
The cosmic creation results from interaction of the three modes of nature. And the temporary manifestations are so created as to present an illusion of reality to the bewildered mind of the conditioned soul, who appears in so many species of life, including the higher demigods, like Brahma, Indra, Chandra, and so on. Just as we have our dogs who look up to us, we have to look up to the gods. <laughs> yes, that's what we're, to us. <laughs> Unless we're devotees, we look like bark, bark. <laughs> in actuality, there is no reality in the manifested world. <laughs> there appears to be reality, however, because of the true reality which exists in the spiritual world where the personality of Godhead eternally exists with his transcendental paraphernalia. I think we have to stop there and we'll continue where we left off and go through this. And we'll also look at a very interesting commentary by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur for this also. So we will now see if there are any questions or comments. And just as we're waiting for some questions to come in, um, the prior, I think it's the prior paragraph in the purport where Srila Prabhupada is talking about how we should not go immediately to the 10th canto. Um, reading that paragraph again brought out even more significance to Srila Prabhupada's writing of Krishna book and presenting the Krishna book to us, not only as for our own protection of, mm -hmm. you know, he, he didn't know how long he would be around, right? um, so we would have it, but to also be able to have Krishna book of the 10th canto in such a way that somebody quite new could read it and not misunderstand what's going on. It's good really point, yeah, that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. And Vijay Krishna Prabhu asks, um, it relates to 111, where I find the synonym Brahma, the Vedic knowledge. The soul is made of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And my, underst in, and my understanding, in accordance with your teachings, is that the soul cannot escape from eternal existence. In terms of bliss, the soul is nothing more and nothing less than an infinitesimal cooperator in favor of the enjoyment of Lord Krishna, the only enjoyer. My question is, what is the importance of the Vedic knowledge related to the good fortune or bad fortune of the living entity? Vedic knowledge is your best good fortune. <laughs> That's all I can say. Is the high, because you're a human being, uh, uh, now, therefore, there's inquiry into Brahmana, Tattva, Brahma, Yiknasa. So, the way we understand that now, therefore, now that you have reached the human form of life, your business is Brahma, Yiknasa. Some, some commentators say now that you have given up fruitive work and everything, but we've said now that you've reached the human form of life, 
Ramagidnapa. Because we are very powerful means that if you're not qualified, you can simply become qualified by chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. Just three words you have to know. And gradually, just by chanting and paying attention, you'll see uh, if you have a little good direction that the modes of ignorance and the mode of passion begin to go down and the mode of goodness comes up and you become qualified. Uh, so that, that's, you know, now that you've reached the human form of life, that's your business as a human being. And the other thing is, is if you use your human life for aiming at this, even if you don't get very far, your next birth, you'll be a human being and you pick up where you left off. So maybe it extends over many lifetimes before you uh, achieve the end, but you're going, making, going up rather than down. Madhavendra Puri Guru, uh, he asks, is this Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances, or mm-hmm. Gurus Yashuda Prabhupada. I have understood that transcending wanting to be the supreme controller and enjoyer is positive for our spiritual growth, as this is not our position, but rather the servant. You mentioned that these aspects come from the Krishna, from Krishna being made of his substance. Is there such a thing as a non-supreme controller and or enjoyer where one engages in these propensities appropriately? Well, everybody, almost everybody at some point controls something. But you, 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 you ha- you, if, if you control it, you also say, I am taking care of Krishna's property. That everything belongs to Krishna and that therefore anything that comes under my control, because say if you're a parent and you have children, they're under your control. Uh, Whatever you're doing, usually most of us, somebody controls over us and somebody is under us. So those people that are under us or under our control, we should, we, 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 we should help them make spiritual advancement. Uh, so we, can, we are little controllers uh, of something. And you shouldn't think, like other people, they get a little bit of a position and they become like little gods throwing thunderbolts at everybody and competing with other people for the god spot. Uh, whatever it may be, and if you know all these people who are trying to do it, they all end up being Knox's handfuls of dust. Uh, where's your you know, greatness now? It's not worth the trouble. Prabhupada said about materialists, all they enjoy is a little mental happiness. Oh, I was a famous person. Oh, I was on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, I, you know what? <laughs> That's what you have. <laughs> oh, I had a good old bit in the New York Times. <laughs> and where are they now? 
prior to Manavajapuri Prabhu's question, I was also thinking about this last paragraph that we read, where Prabhupada is making the point that the material world is not reality in the sense that mm -hmm. it's temporary. And um, I was thinking that sometimes finding that balance of it can be challenging of n understanding how much, yes, it's temporary and it's, you know, it's not ultimate reality. However, that doesn't necessarily mean, or my understanding, you don't just completely disengage from the world in our practical day-to-day, -day, you know, whether we have responsibilities mm -hmm. or even on a political sphere. How do you balance that knowing that um, things are temporary but do we still have a responsibility? And anyhow, the reason why I was connecting to Madhavendra comment is, is that idea of understanding that whatever control we have in, in relationship to Krishna and as mm -hmm. a servant of Krishna, is that how you yeah. reconcile all that? Prabhupada described devotional service as the re-spiritualization of matter. And so by engaging our senses and the object of the senses in Krishna's service, uh, it will regain its... Uh, spiritual quality and the fact that it may still remain somewhat temporary won't really infect you with uh, uh, disappointment or uh, attachments that that aren't uh, uh, beneficial for you. So. You take a flower, which is temporary, you offer it to Krishna, and it becomes a, gains a spiritual quality. So, uh, and Prabhupada told me that there, uh, he, he put it this way, there are different kinds of spirit. <laughs> everything is spirit. Uh, he was explaining on a morning walk that everything is, everything is spirit, actually. Everything belongs to Krishna. And, and I was getting confused and I said to him, you know, I'm trying to understand the difference between matter and spirit. And now you're saying everything is spirit. And he says to me, it took me years to understand what he was saying. His answer, we are not Mayavadis. <laughs> I said, what is that? <laughs> he says, there are different kinds of spirit. So anything even if it seems to be temporary, if you engage it in Krishna's service, it becomes like re-spiritualized matter. And it's not the same kind of spirit as there, but it's, it, it functions as good as, becomes as good as the original spirit. That's my understanding. And he described God devotion as the re-spiritualization of matter. The tongue, you know, taste Krishna prasadam, the eyes see the deities, and so all the senses become spiritualized. Shivananda Sena Prabhu asks, he says, Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you for class. You spoke about the myth of progress. In outreaching, we often refer to the process of bhakti as a kind of spiritual technology. But this can be hard for some people to accept. How can we best present that this process of Krishna consciousness is real technology and is more important for the progress of civilization than developing electronic gizmos like we have today? Well, uh, yeah. 
the 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 people have to understand I, to, to me like the key to the thing about what what constitutes progress is understanding the modes of material nature and then looking to see what they are and then then seeing that progress means that the modes of ignorance and the modes of passion decrease and the mode of goodness increases and as the mode of goodness increases uh, first of all you become happy and the the second thing is you become enlightened i mean this is knowledge actually uh, knowledge depends upon sattva on 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 on, on goodness uh, and that's what real progress is the mode of passion, which is the basis of you know the American dream, is uh, about the mode of passion. The result of the mode of passion is misery. How do you deal with the misery if you don't know anything about goodness? You go to the mode of ignorance, and therefore you get uh, intoxication oblivion, suicide, self-destruct, all these things are mode of ignorance. Therefore, we have an opioid epidemic, for example, just to name one of them, one of those things that, 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 that uh, uh, and people the mode of passion are making money off of the, <laughs> and ensnaring people more than most. So we, ha we have to be clearly look at, to me, to find your way through the material world, you have to understand the modes of nature. And then you have to act in a way, look at yourself and see if what you're doing is increasing the mode of goodness and passion and ignorance and decreasing. If they're not decreasing, you're doing something wrong. And to me, at least, this perfect arena in which to, to, to engage in this activity I like it best because of japa, because of the simple, uh, the simple stage on which these things take place. Because when you do japa, there's just you, there's Krishna in the form of his name, and they're your senses. It's really simple. And your, your mind, you're there, your mind is there, Krishna's there, and then you fix your mind on Krishna by going Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And just by trying to pay attention, because the mind will want to run off. It's, you may notice it has this running away from Krishna tendency. That's because, look, when you came into this world, you brought your mind with you. God knows what's in there. You're just going to have to like deal with it, you know, because it's there. But the treatment by transcendental sound, and it's subtle, but subtle things are actually more powerful than gross things. We think it's the other way around, but it's actually the... If you look how the universe is created, it's from subtle to gross. And so that's subtle. So that's why sound is very subtle. And it's been given to like in the name of the Lord. That's Krishna and Krishna's name are the same. And by trying to pay attention, you're showing respect, right? If you ignore, somebody walks in the room and you don't pay attention to them, that's rude. You know, so, so 
the mind will wander. When you're going to pay attention to Krishna, Hare Krishna, and your mind wanders away or get distressed, as soon as it wanders, you bring it back. And just persist. Even if it goes all the time, even if it wants to run away, grab it and bring it back. You're not your mind. And then you'll see if you practice like that, that things start to change. It's clinical. I mean, you know, things start to change. And the modes of passion and the modes of ignorance start to decrease. You become more and more situated in goodness. And because Krishna is in your heart and he sees you're trying hard, he's going to help you. You'll meet certain people. Certain things will go away. Certain things, whatever. He'll help you. And your progress will go on. And if you, you know, have a slack period because something horrible happens and you got to, you lose your equilibrium, get back on it, and then you know, keep going. Don't give up. That's what I've learned anyway, by experience. On that account of um, seeing how the three modes are, or three modes, the mode of passion, mode of ignorance are decreasing as you're chanting is a kind of litmus test for your progress. Um, sometimes, or sometimes I hear from devotees that they're expecting some, I don't know, it varies. Uh, I don't want to say ecstatic symptoms, but something to happen, you know, or you suddenly feel the surge of connection with the holy name or this intense desire to chant the holy name. And when they don't see that happening, they get kind of discouraged in their chanting. And would you say that it's better to not measure by those kind of powerful experiences and more in the, you know, how are the modes acting on you? Yeah, well, people are different, and it may be different, but if you don't notice anything, just keep doing it. You know, you can, you know, whatever you can notice it that may be impeding you, you can change that. And then Prabhupada described chanting as like a child crying for its mother. <laughs> so you should want it that badly. With a certain amount of intensity that you want like that. And it, all the three words of the mantra in the vocative case. So you're saying, Krishna! <laughs> with an exclamation mark. It should be Hare with an exclamation, Krishna, Rama with an exclamation mark. You know, you're, you're calling. You know? So if you're unsatisfied with what's happening, ask harder. That much you can do. And you can pray to Krishna, please help me. Uh, Having material desires is not really an offense against the holy name. Because we all have them, and they're sitting there, and God knows, you know, what's in there. But maintaining a material desire. So if you say to Krishna, I want you, but please, I don't want to be poor. That's my, I don't want to be poor. Somebody told me once, I don't want to be poor like you. <laughs> so you can't, so don't try to maintain material desire. You have, 
Because you have to have some faith, and the faith is that if I attain Krishna consciousness, all other things will be done. That's the definition of faith. Sarva karma kritahoy, that if you do this one thing, everything else will be taken care of. So that faith you should have. And you you can see how, well, if we just take example of Srila Prabhupada, you know, basically he had everything taken away from him almost. And he had to do these things by himself. And just because he persevered, all of a sudden, he completed what had been the whole mission of the entire Gaudiamat by himself without any institutional support practically. How is he able to do that? Simply because he kept at it. So if you just show Krishna that you're not going to give up, he'll make arrangements. And you know, sometimes I, I think if Prabhupada came at exactly the right time, you know, so sometimes he may hold you back a little bit <laughs> until the right time comes. You don't know what his plan is, you know, but he did it. He didn't quit. On, on that point, I was, this morning I was listening to a class and the point was being made that when we're feeling a little discouraged or we need a little boost in our perseverance to look at Srila Prabhupada and and all of his dedication, and all of his purity, even when he came to the West, it wasn't all this easy. <laughs> but he persevered, and so mm -hmm. in, in, in comparison, it's like, well, what are we expecting? A little, <laughs> a little <laughs> here and there, you know? True. <laughs> you know, we get a little stumbling blocks here and there, uh -huh. you, know, uh -huh. you know, in comparison. Um, Akendra Prabhu asks, he says, Obeisances to you and thank you for the class. I especially like the point you made that Srila Prabhupada had to start the Hare Krishna movement in order to create a qualified, to create qualified readers of the Srimad Bhagavatam. I believe this is a brilliant analysis of his mission. To your knowledge, did he ever explicitly make such a statement himself? Hare Krishna. I can't remember now hearing anything in particular about that. Uh, just that's all, that's what it adds up to. Uh, yeah, but that that's what it amounted to was he had to create the, the qualified audience. He describes what it is, and he you know gradually. People told me who were there in the very beginning and in, in, in New York City when he was there. The, the, the you know. He made an ashram and people slept in it. And Prabhupada collected their clothes and washed them and brought them back to them. He made them food, he cleaned up. And then he didn't ask them to do anything and then somebody said, can I help you? <laughs> That's what he did. That's called teaching by example. And he, he, he did like that. You know, he, he actually you know, people wore their blue jeans, they would stand up by themselves, practically. <laughs> they were so dirty. <laughs> he cleaned. And we gradually, you know, learned uh, to do it. And uh, when uh, Malati told me the story, when she and Shamasundar were there, and she had... Um, gotten this little set of wooden Jagannath deities in a store, 
I think she brought Lord Krishna she, because she shoplifted, uh, steal this book. It was part of the ethos of the of the counterculture. You didn't pay for anything. And uh, and Prabhupada said, "Are there others?" And she said, "Yes." And she went back and got the others in the same way. They had a little set of jagannaths, and then Shamsuna, who had some talent as a wood carver. Was he going to carve the original first Jagannath deities? So they were carving, and Prabhupada went to inspect them. And uh, he looked at them, and sitting on the top of what was going to be Lord Jagannath and being carved was a pack of Shamasundra's cigarettes. Prabhupada didn't say anything right away. And then he said later, a little bit later, uh, do you know you, you, and they were initiated by then, you know you said no intoxication, so they shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. And Malati told me this story. She said, what? They don't get you high. Didn't <laughs> 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 think of them as intoxication. And then Prabhupada said to Shamasundar, how many cigarettes in a pack? He said, 20. Uh, how, how, much you, how, how, how much do you smoke a day? He said, well, a pack a day. He said, then, okay. Today you'd smoke your whole pack, and then tomorrow you smoke 19 cigarettes. And then the next day, 18. And after 20 days, you'll be finished. That's what he did. That, that's what he, that's called mercy. <laughs> but they don't get you high. We didn't know anything, so, but, 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 uh, gave us a way to engage ourselves in Christian service and to gradually decrease. Uh, and and re really, it can be done. Uh, uh, just, just, uh, and if you have a, a you know, a, if you slide back a little bit or you don't you get back up again and keep going. That's another way to show Krishna you're still interested is that you persevere. Even if there's a setback. Because ultimately it's the only worthwhile thing to do in your life is develop Krishna consciousness. Okay, anything else? Okay, from our live studio audience, <laughs> a question. <laughs> so my question came originally from one of the other questions, and then actually every answer you gave kind of added on to the answer, and just to think more about the question, um, just having children and having children in my, my care, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you ended with, Prabhupada leading by example, but earlier on, it's like this idea that we're supposed to create these devotees, it's like so much pressure. <laughs> and then the idea of like having them chant or asking them to chant, I'm always worried about the samskara of them saying no. So like there's just so much um, thought into how to involve and induce mm -hmm. someone to mm -hmm. to step in 
So I was just wondering, um, just in your experience, everything you've seen has gone in the last how many years? You know, what's the most important thing as parents um, when we're serious about our bhakti to give to our children at teenage years? I mean, the younger years was fun and they did all the imitating and the fun things, but now they're teenagers. What's the most important thing to impart? Don't nag them. <laughs> I think once they're teenagers, uh, you have to hope that you've implanted something when they were younger that they'll come back to because just nagging them or getting on their case and and they're they're going to try out the material world. They're surrounded with it, and you've sort of had your shot. <laughs> And uh, so maybe for a while they're going to, you know, even the Amish who are so strict, you know, they, the teenagers are given a license to goof off for a while. And then they have to sort of come back. And either they can join the community again or they cannot. But that's, that's what people have discovered. So, um, yeah. That's all I can say. And you can always pray for them. <laughs> okay. Um, Madhavendra Puripuru, I mean, this is a comment for you, but um, Madhavendra Puripuru is a very good uh, resource because not only did he grow up in the Hare Krishna movement, but he he says uh, he has did five years of service in the Gurukul in high school in Australia. If you'd like to have a chat about that subject with him, <laughs> he'd be happy to. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he knows better. You know, I sent all my kids off to Gurukulas, and so, you know, I was sort of thinking I'm a bad influence and they would be better, but it turned out I would have probably been better than a lot of it. <laughs> so you get in touch with him. That'll be good. He knows it from both sides. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we're done for the day. Well, we'll pick up where we left off with Janmadasiyataha. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.